0: So today we are beginning a new sermon series in the book of First Corinthians. Uh, if you are new to Riverridge Church, I'm excited for you. I think this is going to be a great sermon series for you to come in on and kind of see how does Riveridge view the Bible and following God and all that kinds of things. Um, we've subtitled the message uh, the sermon series "Messy Church, Merciful God," because I think for all of us uh, who live in the church world, like there is a messiness to life. Uh, And there's a messiness to how church is when you have people who are messy who make up the church. But in all of that, God's mercy covers it all. And so as we look at 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that that was true of that church, but it's also true of this church in our lives. So I want to start by reading you a short letter. um, And it's a letter to a family. And it's a fictitious letter that I wrote uh, to the Doe family, right? And you'll kind of figure this out. It's only a couple sentences long. But as I read this letter to you, to the Doe family, to John and Jane, I want you to think about what are the problems that the Doe family are facing. Okay, you got that? So I'm going to read the letter, fictitious, what problems are the Doe family facing? Dear John, Stacy and I so enjoyed being at your house for dinner last weekend. When it comes to raising children, you and Jane need to understand that you are the parents and that you cannot let your children make the rules in the house. In regard to your text, I would encourage you to set it time limits on your screen your kid's screen usage. And when it comes to your teenager, you must make it clear that he is to respect Jane with his words. Sincerely, Matt. So that's a pretty simple letter, right? But in that letter, there's some things that you can discern that are issues in the Doe family, right? So one thing you'd say, well, it seems like the kids are kind of ruling the roost. They're kind of making the rules. Um, So we need to tell them, hey, kids can't make the rules in the house. Um, I said, in regard to a text, so you would know and see that, okay, John sent me a text, something to do with screen times. And so I said, hey, set limits. Um, And then you'd also say, there's something about the teenager, the boy teenager in the house, he doesn't speak respectfully to his mom and you could discern all of that from this letter even though the letter is just a one-way communication even though you've never been to john and jane's house or seen them or been there uh, or been with their family now i share that for this reason we're reading the book of first corinthians and first we call it a book but in fact it's a letter it's a letter from paul to the church in corinth and we are just going to see one side of this conversation but as we read this letter uh, together, we're going to be able to see and discern what were some things that were happening in Corinth. And although we only have one side, we can discern with pretty good accuracy some of the things that were going on there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. It begins this way. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes... To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who, in every place, call upon the name of the Lord our God, excuse me, of the name of, excuse me, of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So that's how the 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 letter begins. And if you, when you came in, you got a a, a sermon outline, and usually I have fill in the blanks on there, and there are some. Points to write down, but I left it blank intentionally because a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning is some background that's going to fit for this morning, but really fit for the entire uh, sermon series. So here's the first thing that we learn: is that it was written by Paul and a man named Sosthenes. Okay, that's kind of a fun word to say. Can everybody say Sosthenes? Sosthenes. Yes. I had a lisp as a child, by the way, and that would have been like a nightmare name for me to say as a kid. Um, But so if we're reading here, um, we don't see this in this, and I'll kind of reference some other things to kind of bring this together so we can see the whole picture. Uh, but Paul actually planted the church in Corinth. And if you want to read about that, that's in Acts chapter 18. Um, and what was unusual about Paul in Corinth is typically Paul would go, and you can read this in the book of Acts, he would go to a place, he would preach the gospel, usually at a synagogue, someplace in another religious place, but usually in a synagogue, he would preach the gospel uh, people would come to christ he'd stay there just for a short time and then he'd move on to the next place except in corinth he was there for a full 18 months so for whatever reason he was a little bit more invested in corinth now corinth is in modern day greece um and so at the time of the planting of this church and at the writing of this letter uh corinth was part of the roman empire there was no greece at that point it was part of the roman empire um and so here's a picture of of where Corinth is, okay? So if you look at the map behind me, um, you can see it's not too far from Athens, which a lot of us have probably heard of, where, um, and then there's another little city um, called, I think it's pronounced Centuria, but I'm not actually sure how that's pronounced, um, and those two, just to, geographically, were about six miles apart, okay? Now, you can see that Corinth sits on this body of water to the north, and then this other city is on a body of water to the south, the difference was only six miles but if we zoom out we can see how, kind of the whole regional picture here so it's a little bit harder so you can see corinth on that northern body of water. that's the uh, called the sea of corinth and then all the way down and around um, that other little city sits on the aegean sea now here's why i mentioned that if we we'll give you the next slide you can real faintly see i put in a Ooh, you can barely see you have, to have good eyes um but you can see that if in order to get from one city to the next it would be about two or three hundred miles all the way around that peninsula okay now here 's why this is important i 'm not just some ge- geography nerd, um, far from it, but here 's the thing is. It was only six miles, right, on this little, island, this little land isthmus kind of thing. And so what they tried to do unsuccessfully is they tried to build a canal to connect these two bodies of water. They're like, man, instead of sailing two or 300 miles all the way around to get to the rest of the world, what if we could build a canal? But they failed at that. But what they did do is they built this... Fascinating system, you can look it up on the internet, but it was basically kind of a boat-moving system over the land. They had logs, and they would roll these boats on the logs the six miles between the north and the south between these two seas. And here's why that's significant, is if you look at this and where it lies, it lies at a crossroads. So you have the land going this way, and you have the water route going north-south. East-west land, north-south is the water route. And so what what that means is that Corinth was a city that was a bustling city at the crossroads of transportation. And so people would travel east to west, and they would stay in Corinth. And people would travel north-south, and they would stay in Corinth. And you know that whenever you have that sort of intersection, you have a population that grows up around it. And when you have this, when it's at an international crossroads, you have an incredible diversity within this city of Corinth. You have racial diversity, you have political diversity, you have wealth diversity, you have cultural diversity. You also had in this town, and again, this happens in kind of travel towns, you think about you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but there's incredible sexual promiscuity in this town of Corinth. And so you have all of this stuff, and so there's all these different types of people in Corinth who don't necessarily like the same things or want the same things. And what happens when you have a culture that's around a a church is that culture will affect or influence the church. And so a big part of what Paul is addressing is how all of these outside influences, the fighting, the sexual promiscuity, some other things that we'll see as we move along, what we see is that those begin to come inside the church. And Paul says, we need to keep an eye on this to make sure that the church doesn't take on the form of the culture. Now, if we look at verse 2, verse 1 we're done with. All right, verse 2. This is not going to be that long of a sermon. All right. Um, So it says this. If if you look at verse 2, there's four expressions that all refer to the same group of people says, to the church of God, to those who are sanctified in Christ, to the saints, and to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Those are all four references to Christians, okay? And that's significant because as we read through the book of 1 Corinthians, as we read through this letter and study it, and as you read it on your own, we're going to discover that there's some things that Paul says which are pretty difficult things. But when he's speaking them, and when he's writing them, He puts it four times. He says, this is to the Christians in Corinth, okay? This is not a letter to all people who live in Corinth. This is a letter to the Christians who live in Corinth because he's going to address in here some hot-button issues. Some of the issues that he's going to address are sexual ethics. He's going to talk about gender roles. He's going to talk about kicking people out of the church. He's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about singleness, and As we look at these, some of them are going to be confusing, and some of them are going to be hard, and some of them we're going to want to push back at, and some of them we're going to try and figure out what in the world is he talking about because it's a million miles away culturally from where we are, and we're going to work to figure that out. He's also going to talk about some hot-button issues that are kind of weird and kind of strange to us. He's going to talk about tongues and speaking tongues for a couple of chapters. He's going to talk about, early in the book, about those who barely, barely make it into heaven as compared to those who just waltz in. And in all of that, I want us from the beginning to understand, this is written to Christians. And so in no way do we ever take the book of 1 Corinthians to the world and say, you don't follow Jesus, but you need to follow what this says. Okay? This is written towards insiders, towards believers. Now, As Paul writes this letter, he's writing to all the Corinthians, right? No, that was a quiz. He's not. He's writing to the Christians in Corinth. Um, But here's what's interesting, is we call this book 1 Corinthians, and this may be a little bit to grasp this morning. We call this book 1 Corinthians, but it's not actually the first book that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It's actually the second book that he wrote Uh, 1 Corinthians 5 9 says I wrote to you in my previous letter so there's a previous letter that God saw fit to not put in the Bible and then there's 1 Corinthians and then there's a second letter, uh, well I guess a third letter that was written to the Corinthians uh, which is also not in our book and then in 2 Corinthians that's actually the fourth book, that's a little bit to get your head around but you can handle it, I have confidence in most of you okay but Here's why I want us to wrap our heads around this. And this is, I mean, again, that's a lot of background information that may not be totally necessary, but here's what I want you to see and understand, right? Um, The book of 1 Corinthians was not written to you, okay? That might sound weird, but, and this is a big but, the book of 1 Corinthians, or the letter of 1 Corinthians was not written to you, it was written to the Corinthians, but it was written for you. Okay, and so what that means is we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, we have to understand it was written to a certain church and a certain culture and a certain context, and many of those things are true of us today, but we need to look at that and say it wasn't written to us, but it was written for us that we might be the church that God wants us to be and that we might be the people that God wants us to be. So I have two challenges, and then we're going to get into kind of the topic of the day. Uh, The two challenges are this. The first is this is that you would listen to or watch every sermon in this series of 1 Corinthians, uh, Messy Church, Merciful God, that you would make that commitment. Um, and it's going to go all the way through the fall. Um, and so there's going to be uh, 11 sermons, and then there it, it wasn't enough, and so I actually decided we're going to do it as Christmas. Um, don't tell anybody else this, um, but we're going to call it Christmas in Corinth. And we're going to actually look at some things that have a Christmas theme in the book of Corinthians. So we're going to be in it for a long time. But my challenge is that you would read it on, that you would listen to every sermon. And the second is that you would read it on your own. And so when you walked in, you got a little um, thing that looks like this. You can stick that in your Bible or you can stick it in your um, River Ridge notebook. Um, and on the top of it, there's some ways to help you called the SOAP method uh, to help you to read it, to learn for yourself. So those would be the two challenges. Listen to every message and then read the book of 1 Corinthians on your own. So... Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and for the most part, he's addressing problems. In the same way that I wrote that little letter to the Doe family addressing problems, he is addressing problems in the Corinthian church. So let's jump in and find out what the first problem that he addresses is. This is chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, okay? So if that's what he writes and he's addressing problems, what would we assume is the problem that he's addressing or one of the problems he's addressing in Corinth? He says, I agree that all of you agree there be no divisions that you be united. So one of the problems in Corinth was that there was divisions within the church, okay? What we're gonna see is that's the, issue that he's dealing with here but we're also going to see as we read through the book of first corinthians you do it on your own and as we study it here that a lot of the problems in the corinthian church come back to this problem of divisiveness and as you read it you'll be able to see how paul addresses the divisiveness and it's interesting as paul addresses the divisiveness in the church He's going to give kind of three responses depending on what the issue is. And as you read it, you can kinda, you'll you be able to see these things yourself. Sometimes he will say, you're right and you're wrong, and you need to cut it out. You're right and you're wrong, and he'll make it pretty black and white. There'll be other times where he will look and he'll say, look, this is not a big deal. Y'all just need to chill out and get along. And then there'll be some other times where he will share his preference. He'll say, this is my preference but it's okay to be different. And so he'll share that, and you'll see that as we go through this book together. So he says, "Watch out, there's these divisions. And what we're going to do as we look at these next few verses, is we're going to see what the divisions are in the church, but we're also going to see what some of the solutions are to it. So here's the first solution to division, is understand what unity is and isn't. Understand what unity is. And isn't. And so we're actually going to start with the is not part. First of all, unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is where everybody thinks the same, believes the exact same on every issue, everybody votes the same, everybody dresses the same, everybody sends their kids to the same kind of school. That's uniformity. That's not unity. The second thing that unity is not is unity is not abandoning the core tenets of of the gospel for the sake of unity. It's not saying, hey, you can believe whatever you want, just whatever your opinion is, is whatever matters. That's not unity of, hey, believe whatever you want, right? That's not what unity is either. Paul tells us what unity is. He says it's having the same mind and the same judgment. Another version uh, translation says the same mind and the same thought. One translation adds the same purpose. So let me give you the bottom line kind of in between these points is unity is found when we focus on the gospel and not my own preferences or not our own preferences. Unity is found when we collectively focus on the gospel and not my own personal preferences. That's what unity is. That's where unity is found. So then verse 11, Paul writes, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, what's happened is that Paul spent 18 months there. He gets letters, and we'll kind of see this as we read through. He gets letters from Corinth, but he also gets reports from this woman, Chloe, from somebody in her household who says, Hey, there's quarreling going on. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, you read that and you're like, Well, what kind of quarreling exactly is? is paul talking about great question what i mean is that each of you says i follow paul i follow apollos i follow cephas or i follow christ you see what's going on in the church is you have these different people who have led in the church and the people are choosing upsides the people in the church are choosing upsides one guy's going you know i'm team paul right? Paul founded this church. He was all about evangelism. We just used to reach people, reach people, preach the gospel, get it out there, get it out there, get it out there. I'm all about Paul. So there are people who were team Paul. And then there were people who were team Apollos. He was the guy that followed Paul, and he was known as a brilliant speaker. Paul actually wasn't a great speaker, brilliant writer, not a great speaker. So people are like, man, I really love Apollos. He is so eloquent. He attracts a crowd. He makes the gospel so relevant. I I'm on Team Apollos. And then there were other people that said, you know what, I'm on Team Cephas. And Cephas was the nickname or another name given to Peter. right? So Peter's one of the founders of the church. He goes, you know, uh, we're on Team Peter. We really like his style. And Team Peter was kind of the old school people like we really like the tradition we like the way it was we like to keep these Jewish practices in it like let's keep all of that kind of going you know and we see that you know if Peter if team Peter in this day and age would be like man we like the old songs from like the 80s like those choruses we used to sing like as the deer panteth for the water man I love that song right let's sing that like why are we doing this modern I just need a guitar and a voice I don't need all this smoke and stuff like that would be team Peter right like it's old school let's do it Let's do it that way. We should need a guitar in the back of a pickup truck. Man, that's all we need. That's Team Peter. And then finally, he says, um, and some of you say, I belong to Christ. That's Team Christ. Now, most of us would go, yeah, yeah, that's the team I want to be on. I'm, I'm on Team Christ. But that's not the way that Paul is using it here. He's saying, when he, people say, I'm on this team, I'm on this team, I choose the, I follow, I follow Christ. He's using it in a way that's not complimentary complimentary of them he's saying some of you are like hey all i need is jesus like i don't need people i don't need authority like i don't need anything around me it's just like it's just me and jesus that's all i need and you hear that from people like all i just need me and jesus i don't need people i don't need the church i don't need the bible it's just me and jesus that was the team jesus people they were like we are just pure spiritual so they were quarreling over their preferences When we think about that and quarreling over preferences, we come back to our church, right? And a lot of times this will come back to our church and our lives and how we interact with this. But the question is, do we do that same thing? Do we have preferences where we go, hey, I'm on team this, I'm on team that, where our preferences get elevated too much? You know, as I think about uh, River Ridge Church, I think about us and what does divisive look like? And here's the thing is, as I look at River Ridge Church, and I, 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 I read the scriptures and I say, is this true of me? Is this true of the church? And I honestly, I look at River Ridge Church and I go, we're not a divisive church. I feel incredible unity in our church. As I was talking to pastor friends who were going through the pandemic and people were talking about, people writing letters about you're not trusting God enough if you meet and other People right? if you meet, you don't really love people. I'm getting it from all sides. And I was amazed how well we as a church went through the pandemic because there was a unity, there was a love, there was a, you know what? I may have a preference to do this or a preference to do that, but I can go along with however God leads in this church. You know, but when it comes to that, I feel like we do well. But there is a sense or there is the possibility that we can become territorial. You know, we can be like, hey, I'm team worship. Because worship, like, that's the most important thing. Like, that's the first thing people experience when they walk in. Somebody goes, no, you know, I'm team family ministry. Because if we're not reaching the next generation of kids, then, then what are we even doing here? Or, I'm team life groups, because that's where authenticity happens in, in real life, and relationships. Or no, I'm team preaching, because I'm preaching, because that's the most important thing, right? The, I'm team preaching. You know, I'm team outreach. Like, we got to go love people on the west side and Capitol High and around the world and go local. Like, I'm team like." we can get in that place where we go, this is the most important thing. But if we understand where unity is found, unity is found when we focus on the gospel and not our own preferences. So we sum this up like this. Don't quarrel over non-essentials. Don't quarrel over non-essentials. So then the $64,000 question becomes, well, what's the difference between essentials and non-essentials? Great question. Here's how Paul answers that, verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you are baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. You know, it's interesting, he kind of has this like I didn't baptize anybody. Oh, wait, wait, I did baptize these two guys. And I can see, Sosthenes was the scribe that wrote it down, right? And I can see him go, I didn't baptize. Paul, I I think you did. Oh yeah, put that in, right? Didn't baptize, well, no, no, put that in anyway. And and it's a little bit like, okay, Paul, you're a little bit absent-minded here. Like, that's my first, like, Paul, like, focus on what you're doing. You're writing a letter that we're gonna read 2,000 years ago, like, pay attention here. But here's what I think is actually going on. It didn't matter to Paul who he baptized he didn't care I don't care if I baptize them or Apollos or anybody else or somebody it doesn't matter what matters is the gospel what matters is the gospel not my preference not how I count people being baptized it doesn't matter any of that that takes us to the the essential is unite around the gospel that we unite around the gospel when we when we unite around the gospel then everything else falls to the wayside. And, and when we do that, our own opinions, it just doesn't matter as much. And so we unite around the gospel that Jesus Christ died for sins and was risen from the dead. And when we place our faith in him, we can have eternal life. Here's the final verse we're going to look at. It takes us to the fourth action. It says this. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words or eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If you look at what he's focusing on, he's focusing on the mission and that's what we do. Unity is about focusing on the mission. You know, one of the core values that we have around here, one of the things that we say is that we go with hope and when we are more focused on reaching people, growing people in the faith, we become a lot less interested in our own preferences, the things that we want, the things that we like the music this way, we like the coffee that way, we like, we don't focus on that as much when we understand we're about a bigger purpose. Uh, There's a guy uh, in Cincinnati, a guy named Gil Hopkins, and uh, Gil Hopkins uh, was part of Founding this church called Crossroads and Crossroads is a big church in Cincinnati very dynamic very large it went from about I don't know 10 12 people uh, 25 years ago to you know 15 20,000 and I was in Cincinnati one Sunday and I remember seeing Gil and I knew him from my days with Young Life and he uh, was a guy that was very instrumental in starting Young Life in all the greater Cincinnati area but I was uh, they were meeting in a school and I remember seeing Gil in the lobby and I'm like, hey, Gil, how you doing? Do you remember me? I lived in Cleveland at the time. He goes, yeah, I remember you, I think. He was old. He was like 75 or 80 at the time. And um, anyway, but he's out there, and he says to me, and he's just got this way of speaking, just like a guy that's seasoned and a bit crusty, right? And he goes, you know, I don't like the music here. And there were loud electric guitars and all that, yeah, drums. He goes, I don't like the music around here. But you know what? The church is reaching people and just to see his like i'm going to stand in the lobby because the music i don't like the music but he saw what god was doing that's a guy who understood it's not about his preference for music it's about the gospel and he saw the gospel going out how important is unity to us and i just want to give you a couple minutes just to reflect and to ask the question where is your role what is your role in unity How important is unity to us? Jesus commanded it. Jesus prayed for it. And Jesus said that the world will know we are his disciples by the unity, by the love that we have. So, would you bow your heads and just give a moment of reflection of what unity looks like? And maybe what are some preferences that you have that you want to lay aside, that you need to lay aside to say, That's not as important as the gospel in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to look into your word and we have this to help us to learn to follow you. Would you teach us through this? And God, as we read 1 Corinthians this week and this month and this fall, God, I pray that you continue to show us what it means to live and to follow you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.